Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for another trip back in time on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll podcast. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus Goldman. And buddy, for all the time travel we've been doing way back, we haven't done as much looking back in the 25 to 30 year time travel window, if you will. But that's what we're looking back to today as we look back on one of our favorite bands of our adult lives, Pearl Jam on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. You ready? I'm ready. You ready? I'm ready. You ready to get on some bold foot socks and a growler full of crooked eye and go? Absolutely. And it's all about Pearl Jam on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. I think a lot about the tale of how they came to be after Mother Lovebone disbanded after Andrew's death. A lot of that kind of is known. Jeff and Stone were friends already, had worked together. They knew McCready. And I'm not 100% clear on how Dave Cruzen came into the mix. So maybe we should talk about all that stuff first, how the band came together, and uh, maybe even a little uh, time spent discussing the unique friendship of Jeff Ammon and Stone Gossard. Those guys played together for a long time, man, didn't they? They really did. And, you know, playing together in Mother Love Bone, and I'm sure when they got the news of Andrew Wood passing away, they were confused and they were like, what are we going to do? Can we still do music? Are we going to be able to do music? Was this our one shot? And they seemed pretty determined to move forward. And horrible tragedy in some ways brought out the best in them and really showed their strength to carry forward they found these guys some of the early uh practice sessions and some of those early sessions included uh jack irons of the chili peppers before they recorded as well and as an older guy he kind of gave him some guidance on things that really was key too listen these guys had roots that go back into bands like green river so they had momentum stone and jeff i'm talking about mm-hmm when they teamed up with their friend McCready, well, it seemed like fate in a small way because of how his involvement with the Temple of the Dog Project, which we also need to talk about, played into him getting out from behind the counter of the video store and going to work as a guitarist using what he had. And I think it's all connected in a really unusual way for a rock and roll story. 
So when you think about bands that were at the root of the whole sub pop thing, Green River's name always comes up. They advance on to hook up with Andrew and work on Mother Love Bone, brought in Greg Gilmore, who played in Skin Yard, and they created a sensation there, but also with Polygram, who was on the verge of making them the next big thing when tragedy, as you put it, strikes in the form of a heroin overdose, and we lose Captain High Top. Paying tribute seemed like a natural thing. Chris was his roommate, right? Chris Cornell. Yes, it was he, Chris Cornell, and his girlfriend. No, but it all funnels around to them realizing they want to move forward. And just in the nick of time, this surfer guy from San Diego kind of comes into the mix. Yeah, being in bands around the San Diego scene, and he was in a band called Indian Style with Brad Wilk former audio slave drummer and Rage Against the Machine drummer. And he was in a band called Surf and Destroy in the Butts. But then in 88, he became the vocalist for a band called Bad Radio, which was a San Diego-based progressive funk rock band. And they did stuff that was sort of new wavy and funky rocky. And then they moved over towards more alternative sound. influenced by the Chili Peppers, so he had ties to the Chili Peppers, and I think Jack Irons got him that tape of the music, and what he sent back were the lyrics to what would later become Alive Once and Footsteps. And there is your golden-cased Jack Irons connection to this whole thing, bringing Eddie in. 
And to be honest with you, he fits their sound perfectly. And when we did the Mother Love Bone episode, I stated I thought that Mother Love Bone was going to be big, but I don't think they would have ever hit the level that Pearl Jam was going to hit. I think even though Mother Love Bone and Andrew Wood were special, there was something really special about this band forming the way they did and the way they came together. And when they came together on Hunger Strike from the Temple of the Dog Rick. Cornell and Vetter, almost like brothers in arms, standing center stage, you know, draped in each other and singing that to let it all out and start something new. And that something new is still going on. And that's one of the things I love about Pearl Jam is that they're still doing it. Whichever phase of what they do, they're in the middle of. I'm happy for them mainly. And when they want to share stuff with us, I'm pretty happy for us too, at least most of the time. Now, they all have a pretty well-known affinity for NBA hoops. Yes. And that led to the uh, name initially uh, being Mookie Blaylock, which everybody knows. Uh, Mookie was a player in the NBA around that time. And obviously, uh, Jeff Stone and Mike were pretty big fans of it. So they started that, and that's when they got Eddie involved. The history that I found says there's a bunch of people that they tried out for drummers, but they fired them too, I guess. They hired them and fired them. And it really became an issue as the songs came together and as they became more and more a candidate to get signed by a major label, and in this case, the great Epic Records. Epic Records' legal department right away said, can't use the name Mookie Blaylock, sorry, got to change it. There are several stories about what happens next in the naming of Pearl Jam. And I like the one that was fed to me not literally many years ago, and I'm sticking with that. And that is? Look, I have a filthy mouth, but there's some things I'm not saying on the podcast. All right. So they get to work on what's going to become 10. It makes sense, right? Five guys. We got mm. 10 arms, 10 legs. Mookie Blaylock's number, 10. It, but when they get together and start working, it must have been magical because they seem to be able to craft these songs quickly and really make every one of them in their own way most memorable and that would continue to be a pattern for them through the first three four five albums at least where the whole album was filled with great memorable songs yeah they really wrote some beautiful songs in those early days together those first three albums just fantastic and i was fortunate to see them open up for the chili peppers on the blood sugar sex magic tour at this place called the denver coliseum where the stock show are every year so no matter what's happening you still smell the stock show 
at the concert, and it was Pearl Jam, the Pumpkins, and the Chili Peppers, and the best band that night might have been Pearl Jam. They were so good for those 30 minutes they were on. I talked about J.C. Dobbs on South Street. They did a show there early on, and I missed it. For some reason, and I can't even explain it, I wasn't there that night. I saw them at the Troc, the night where Eddie climbed to the rafters. Uh, It was crazy stuff, and the music was incredible. Every time I've ever seen them perform, You never walk away feeling like you got a hmm kind of performance. Every show, every time, no matter what's in it, it's fucking amazing. They give everything every night. And not every band's doing that, but I don't have to tell you that. I've seen them over a dozen times live as well. One of the bands that I've seen that many times live and every performance of theirs is exceptional. They give it good to their fans starting a trend that continues through today they didn't forget when the second album versus was coming out to stay connected to the clubs and the promoters that helped them establish their roots in the beginning on 10 and that led to a legendary night at jc dobbs the versus release party one of the highlights being chrissy hine not only showed up she hung out all night she was partying with the gang and that was kind of fun and intimidating she's very intimidating in person i had a chance to meet her a long time ago she was with shirley manson and i got so nervous just being around her i understand and people asked me if I took a picture or anything like that that night. And I said, no, it wasn't like that. Not at Dobbs, not that night. I don't even think anybody had one of the uh, photographers for the evening or for the label there shooting pictures. But it was really a hang thing. And really, I think everybody was enjoying just being able to hang out, not worry about her, and not have her worrying about being all, you know, the center of attention. It was cool. And the album rocked. Oh, how it rocked. And everybody walked away talking about two in a row here. Here we go. But that's when tours kicked in. That's when Lollapalooza happened. They started doing all these amazing things that they couldn't have done early on in the clubs, putting themselves in the middle of stuff. And once you get to the point where you've got all the wheels turning and you know that you can make some calls, the creative process kicks in. And you start thinking about, hey, Could we play too, like Ernie Banks said, at Wrigley Field, where the Cubs play? And the answer was, oh, hell yes, this is going to be fun. The Cubs, the stadium, the neighborhood, everybody embraced it. And it was a dream for Eddie. Yeah, the way they moved from playing clubs to playing stadiums and arenas so quickly, it was majestic in a way. And I'm sure for them it was overwhelming and and surreal too because going from playing 200, 300, 400 sweaty dancers in a tight club to 25,000 in an arena is a big change. And to do that from one tour to the next is like making a huge jump it is really is ain't no baby steps there somewhere in here they change drummers and dave abrazesi joins and he plays on the vitalogy record so if you feel any little bit of a difference in the feel maybe that was it they didn't seem to like it and he was out before too very long and both he and the members of the band have had some contentious moments over the years fortunately it calmed down and Eddie called up his buddy, Uncle Jack Irons. Jack, I need you, man. We need a drummer to help us finish this record. 
and he came in and did that and stayed with them for a while, right? He did. He stayed with them for a couple of albums. And one of the differences cited in the split between Dave Abruzzese and uh, the rest of the band was that he disagreed with the battle with Ticketmaster and didn't think that that was a battle that they should do. And that is the dumbest sword ever to fall on, man. That's all I'll say about that. It's your band. They're making this decision. You don't agree. You know, you can go along and see what happens. He's a great drummer, and yeah. it's too bad, but they brought Jack Irons in, and he played with them for a couple of albums. Kind of got him on a steady course, you know what I mean? Yeah, he really did, and No Code and Yield are two solid albums. They were very different than the first three records and showed a change in direction of the songwriting, and I give them props for doing that because they didn't want to fall into that trap of doing the samesies and as we know the samesies can be really frustrating for artists especially when they're that creative and both these albums have some really cool songs some of them maybe not as quote unquote radio friendly but in an AOR type of a situation, an album-oriented rock type of radio station or situation, you can play eight, nine, ten songs off of these records and still be fine because it's Pearl Jam and people who listen to Pearl Jam know their catalog very well. True that. One of the things I loved about No Code, by the way, is that there were different combinations of those photos on the front cover and there were card sets that were printed out. I've got a bunch of them. I got to go find those, don't I? Yeah, we both do. I have them too. We're talking about No Code on this episode. All about Pearl Jam on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. Man, these guys, look at all the stuff we're talking about here. All the impact that they've made. And what's coming up next for them really is the beginning of them becoming the masters of their own domain. As the major labels are changing their focus, Pearl Jam still wants to go like full throttle. And that's when they start to find their own path. And following No Code, they released Yield in 98. And I remember playing Brain of Jay as a new song on the radio and was really stoked. Also given to Fly and Wishlist, Do the Evolution, some other tunes that got a lot of radio play at that time. So this album was getting a lot of spins in my home. And it was also the last record that Jack Irons would do with the band as they did their big world tour and then took some downtime because they were feeling the effects of their battle with Ticketmaster and... And I think they were going to try to figure out what direction they were going to go in and what they were going to do and how they were going to do what they were going to do to move forward. One of the things that they learned, I think, is that when you're going to buck the system and really fight the giant, the monolith, occasionally you're going to take a couple licks. But they came out clean and started doing their own thing. At first, they signed with this label, J Records, and I guess they figured that they'd be in good shape there because it was distributed through RCA. That didn't last too long, and I guess you could say somebody threw a monkey wrench into the mix, and that's how they came up with the name of their own label, which is kind of what they've been with, other than for reissues or live albums. They've pretty much done it themselves their own way since then and seem to be doing okay. One of the things that relates to Philadelphia about Pearl Jam in the earlier part of this century was when we closed down the Spectrum. Now, that's the arena dating back to the 60s. It was always called America's Showplace, where everything happened. 
and all kinds of concerts happen there. My last night was one of the Springsteen shows just a month or two before Pearl Jam shut down the Philadelphia air-conditioned spectrum. And those shows are legendary with the fans who were there and those who have them because of file sharing. One of the things that we haven't talked about much is that Pearl Jam doesn't tour all the time. When they do, they really do it. But they like their free time, their creative time, and who the hell could blame them, man? They've done so much. In a business that used to be run by the boss, they're one of the bands that proved you could become the boss and do it your way and do whatever the hell you want with it. And they continue to do that today. And for me, some of the albums have been uneven in the last few years, but they solved a lot of that with their album Gigaton, which I really loved when it hit just a couple of years ago. I have a lot of respect for Pearl Jam because they've been able to maintain creative control of how they want to do things. They've taken chances. They've made their music go in different directions that aren't as mainstream or as safe as maybe what the labels would like, but their core fan base really has stuck with them and really understands their music. And I know in the early days, especially with the 10 record, I felt like that album was in some ways being sung to me personally. And I think a lot of us in our teens and 20s and maybe even early 30s at that time period felt the same way because we could relate to the pain and the angst and the uncertainty and the anxiety and some of those things that were happening at that point in our lives. So there was that connection and that connection stayed strong and they kept that connection alive and have continued to keep that connection alive for 30 plus years. Not too many can say that, bro. Not too many. Not at all. A couple characters we need to make sure we include in this little roll down memory lane. Josh Klinghoffer, who's been a pretty good guitar player and contributing factor both in the studio and live for the last few years. And uh, we failed to mention that Matt Chamberlain played drums and percussion for a short while between Dave's. Let's just say <laughs> back in 1991 on the drum chair. But, you know, it's Jeff and Stone and Mike and Eddie. And Matt Cameron, God bless him, you said it a short time ago that he can't add any more bands by joining the Foo Fighters because he's already doing enough and can't handle any more. I remember an interview when Chris Cornell was alive, he was asked if Pearl Jam and Soundgarden would ever tour together, and his response was, heavens no, do you want us to kill Matt Cameron? <laughs> <laughs> or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah. And everybody in the room cracked up. Uh, but he was right. I mean, there's no way. Look, whenever a, a grouping or an outburst from a scene or in a musical genre happens, there are always the bands that maximize it all. For some reason, maybe their songs are better, their performances, their albums, put it all together, they're better. But not every band gets to last as long and burn as bright as Pearl Jam. Maybe it's because they don't always work round year round into the next thing on around. Maybe because they take it at their pace. I'm thinking of the smooth songs from that first album, like, you know, Ocean or Release. You know, it's just kind of a smooth vibe. And it's good for them, and that's what's good for the fans, too, because everybody knows that when you get to see them, you're getting everything they got. They're not leaving anything in the locker room, man. Well, I don't know about you, man, but I'm ready for a little uh, fresh set of bold foots and a cold one from Crooked Eye. 
Let's take a pause for the cause and come back. We'll talk about the albums, the backbone of what this band is. Pearl Jam on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. Well, we're into the active part of the year, and that means more walking with golf and just doing walks for me. And already my bold foot socks have come into play. The new ones I just got in the French Quarter in New Orleans on a vacation, Marcus, where I walked over 25 miles over the course of five days. That's awesome. And you didn't have stinky, muggy New Orleans sweaty feet, did you? No, my feet were dry. In fact, I couldn't feel them at all. It was wonderful. Hey, man, I've been wearing the socks quite a bit as well. The weather's getting nicer, and I am spending more time on my bike. I'm spending more time walking with my wife and my son. And a lot of times I'm wearing my bold foot socks, and when I'm doing longer rides, the bold foot socks do wonders in wicking the sweat off my feet so they're not as stinky after a ride and not as mushy, and I like that. Swampy feet, bad. Bold foot, good. <laughs> Check them out at boldfoot.com. Always a neat pair of socks. Anything you can want, any size, any style. You can find them at boldfoot.com. And don't forget, they give back to veterans charities for every pair they sell. Boldfoot socks are American grown, American sewn. They're your feet. Be bold. Summertime is here, and it's time to get in and spend some time with your friends at Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hatboro. They're right there, just off York Road on Montgomery Avenue. And what goes on in the summertime, Marcus, you know you've been there when the doors are up and uh, the windows are open. Yeah, you get a nice little breeze running through the bar and you get all these tasty beers to try. And being that it's summertime, the summer beers are out. And don't forget the Salty Vets Barbecue. They've got cocktails. That's right. Craft cocktails from Pennsylvania distillers, wine, you need it. You want some cider? They got that. Take a growler home or a gift certificate for a friend who loves Crooked Eye. But stop by anytime. You can find their calendar on their Facebook page. There's always something going on. Of course, the Crooked Eye band's there the second Saturday of every month. And the second Tuesday is my vinyl night. Come out and have a brew and make a new friend because that's part of what goes on when you visit Crooked Eye Brewery. Pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Ray and Marcus on the imbalance history of rock and roll about to do something that we're not known for moving chronologically. What are you talking about? Pearl Jam want to talk about their albums. And I was trying to decide whether we should throw them all in a blender and just pick them out randomly, but maybe we should just start at the beginning and work our way through like a history lesson. Come on. You studied history. You're right. I'm fine with doing a little bit of a history lesson. History's fun. Well, we talked a little bit about the history of Pearl Jam rising from the aftermath of Mother Love Bone. August 27th, 1991, the release of their first album, 10. Pretty incredible, man. When I got alive and even flow, the songs I could play on the rocker show, we played them both every week for the first few weeks because it was just that much fun. And that built a lot of energy for that Dobbs show, and it led to MMR at large sitting there going, hmm, what's going on here? And then it happened, and a 30-plus-year bonding between a radio station and a band happened right there uh, because of all the things that happened in the next couple of years, really. But it took off with the live and even flow, and then Jeremy became that huge hit on MTV, the video and all that. The first time we really stopped as a society and said, what's going on with these fucking kids losing their minds and using guns like that? Hmm. 30 years and we're still having to talk about it, buddy. I know. Crazy. Then you have songs like Black, which were never released as a single, but got just played hard on FM rock radio. It still do. This is one of those, again, albums you can play all 11 songs and people are going to be like, yep, good, yep, good. And people know this. The Pearl Jam fans know every lyric to every song that that band has released. And I've seen them so many times in concert that I can attest to the crowd singing along to every word to every song every single time. Well, you can't go wrong anytime you want to put on an album that's going to make you feel good. Start with once and go from there. That's how she rolls on 10. Coming out October 1993, right after that record release party we were talking about, Versus Hits. And I got to tell you, I guess it's because it's the beginning of the Brendan O'Brien era. It seems like they hit their stride creatively and they find a spot in studio world that just really suits them with Brendan. This album opens up with a bang with Go, written by Abruzzetti, and then it rolls into Animal Daughter, Glorified G, Dissident. She nursed him there. 
I mean, holy cow, those first five songs are incredible, and all of them have received a lot of radio play over the years. But don't write off the rest of the record, bro. I know you're not, but in re-listening to a lot of it, I found that a lot of those are my favorite songs, too. Even though Elderly Woman Behind the Counter is Small Town or something like that isn't one of my favorites at all, it's still in place in this album you know, chronologically fits and it's really great. You know, this is one of those albums, first one too. And a lot of the other records that we talk about sometimes when a party's happening and a record's on and it's just late at night and you just hear the song, you don't even remember what title it is when you first get it, right? It may take a while because you keep getting all passed out at 2.30 in the morning and WMA comes on, right? That's what I'm saying, things like that. Become part of being a Pearl Jam fan. You get to know everything, and that's how it happens. You know, you're really listening a lot, and these first two albums really impact in ways that you can't even measure. It put them on a whole new plane over most of the other bands that were out there even the ones that were coming out in 90 and 91. They continued to stay strong as they went into the studio to record their third album, Sticking with Brendan O'Brien. Vitalogy is what came out of it, and they recorded at a bunch of different studios. You had Bad Animals in Seattle, Southern Tracks in Atlanta, Doppler in Atlanta. They went down to the Big Easy and recorded at Kingsway as well and put these really incredible songs out, and it really, really helped their ascent to greatness. At this point, man, the process is on. They're already starting to assemble that fan base that's still with them now. With each album, they're adding a new wing to things. They're doing great things in their personal life, and they're still sticking to the formula of the major label deal, right? Mm -hmm. But the songs are starting to push. Even though tracks like Corduroy or Spin the Black Circle get attention at first. See this needle! really better man that really drove the bus for this album which by the way is available in a special bound cover and i have a couple of those somewhere in the basement i think they're with those uh no code albums nice. <laughs> but it's a great album it really is and they just keep going man they keep figuring out what's next and for them they're sticking with what's working and that means Brendan O'Brien helping them to find their way. No matter what studios they're going to, they keep finding their way with him. And I think we're starting to see the development of Eddie Vedder as a songwriter. 
he's written some deeper kind of songs and some different feels. And it really starts to come into play at this point in the band's development. The next album, Yield, is one I'm particularly fond of. Some of the textures that are on the album in songs like Given to Fly or Wishless. Don't it make you show that they're developing they're not staying in one place they're doing some different things and it's coming through in the music and at this point they're already established but they're building that legendary tour reputation out there every time they take a stage man yeah their shows are super notorious for having different songs on the set list every like single night or fish or one of those bands right? yeah totally and they're playing two and a half three hours and they're really really packing it in they're like well hell if you're gonna spend some money to come see us we're gonna give you your money's worth and we're gonna put it all out there for you every night for a long ass time until they tell us to get the fuck off the stage <laughs> I think that's happened a couple times along the way. <laughs> you know it has. With uh, songs like Brain of Jay, Given to Fly, it's just a beautiful album up and down. MFC, another great tune. Just really like this album a lot. For whatever reason, they change up the production roles. The band and Chad Blake do it together for Binaural, which comes out in May of 2000, welcoming them to the 21st century. And the first record with Mr. Matt Cameron joining the band Post Soundgarden. And the beat goes on. They've got deep roots together. He's a great fit for them. Now, I have to tell you, I tried to keep up with these guys all the way through, but around this point, I kind of lost them for a little while. Or should I say they lost me? The albums weren't as focused, and I didn't feel it as much, like on Riot Act and in Binaural, too. But the album that we all lovingly call Avocado brought me back the self-titled album Pearl Jam 2006. It was their second with Adam Casper at the helm and their first and, dare I say, only for J Records. It's a good album. I really enjoyed Worldwide Suicide. I think Life Wasted is yeah. another really nice song. Yeah. I like Big Wave. You also have uh, Gone, Parachutes, Comatose. Just a really solid effort from them. Really enjoyed it. Felt the music. And from there, I'm thinking that we're going to move forward and that the next record's going to be like a reprogression of what they'd done, like a, a next phase. 
And a lot of people love Backspacer. Brendan O'Brien is back in the mix. And it's the beginning of their own thing. Somebody threw the monkey wrench into the works, and the band comes out as their own boss, which is something that's pretty cool to achieve, no matter how hard it could be in the reality of the world. Yeah, they were very smart to make this business decision. And another record that I really like, I love The Fixer. It's just fast, and it moves, and it has great energy. Amongst the Waves, another beautiful song from the record. Supersonics on there. That's fantastic. Just Breathe is another one that's really good. Johnny Guitar, another really excellent effort from those cats. Like I said, they kind of did some different things, and some of it I was real into, and some not so much. And I feel like a schmuck, really, because I love Pearl Jam. I really do. I'll go see them any time. But when I see album after album, where there's only a couple really great songs that really grab me, I understand that everybody has different tastes and all that. I respect all of it. Mm-hmm. But that's why I, like, I wasn't like totally clued in so much. But, you know, they earn all the love and respect they get, and I still have tons of it for them. Just not so much on the last few albums. But when Gigaton hit, I thought, wow, they're setting it up right. They must have something. And you know what? They did. I really love that album. It has a classic feel while still being kind of fresh. I dig the Gigaton record as well. I did enjoy Lightning Bolt. I thought there were some really fantastic tunes on that record. I liked Pendulum. I like Sirens. I like uh, the title track, Lightning Bolt. We had a chance to play a couple of the songs on the record. Super Blood Wolf Moon is fantastic. of the clairvoyance is another fun one you have uh never destination seven o'clock buckle up another cool tune on the record i yeah, like but it. you also have tracks like comes then goes or retrograde at the end of the record that a lot of people might overlook listen to the whole thing it's really good as a listen a good way to spend a an hour with a friend i agree and that's the thing that i'm glad that we continue to push is listen to the albums all the way through it will give you a better feel and a better connection with that band if you can do that and if like a lot of the fans you're more of a live guy these days or a live gal as the case may be dig into 20 or 9 11 2011 toronto let's play two we mentioned that earlier two shows at wrigley It got turned into an awesome documentary on top of the album. They did MTV Unplugged, too. 
Yeah, they've done a lot, and I love the fact that they've made their live shows available for the listeners to purchase yes. afterwards in that Grateful Dead way, where they give you a chance to get a soundboard, high-quality mixing of their live performance of what you just saw, so you, you know, have that memory forever. I first bought shows like that for Who Concerts and the Black Crows like 20 years ago, and no one really has taken it to the unhealthy excesses the pearl jam guys uh, the deadheads are in their own category the fish fans in their own category but what people who follow pearl jam do has created an industry unto itself if you want to call it that absolutely and i think it's great that they're giving their fans access to their live shows live music has power when we talked to rudy sarzo he talked about the collective resonance factor and it's so true. It's what I miss about not being at as many shows as I used to be. I think I'm going to fix that. No, I'm really going to fix that. I know I'm fixing that. We're going to see some shows this summer for sure, Ray. And another thing about that collective resonance is if people at a live show sing together long enough, their hearts begin to beat in unison as well. That is power. That Houston guy was right. Two hearts beat as one. <laughs> Bono Vox of O'Connell Street. I mean, we. Googie of the Virgin Prunes named him that. Ah, uh, the things we say, the things that come out of our mouth, the places we veer as we go on our adventures here on the Imbalance History. Always a fun time. And I think we're both a little giddy because we just got to do an episode about Pearl Jam, a band we both love so much. I uh, want to thank our sponsors, as always, Boldfoot Socks at boldfoot.com. Great folks, and always giving back to the community and the veterans community as well. And Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hapro, pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014. And they've got that salty vets barbecue, too. Now. And if we left something out of the story, which we may have, please email us, imbalancehistory at gmail.com. And to do a really detailed deep dive on Pearl Jam would probably be five or six episodes because there's so much to talk about. And we hope that we gave you a nice feel or overview for who Pearl Jam is and what they're about and really how much they love making music and sharing it with the fans. And and again, you can get more information. You can contact us via our website, imbalancedhistory.com. And we're on social media as well, the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Available wherever you get your podcast, including Pantheon Podcast. On Dark Doc Media, time to sign off and ready to roll out of here. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus Goldman. And this is Pearl Jam on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 